This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. The story of Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory has been told and retold, both in the classic Roald Dahl children's books and in two hit films. Now Wonka has his own colorful, whimsical prequel. The new movie musical Wonka stars Timothy Chalamet in the title role and was co-written and directed by Paul King, who directed both of the Paddington films. I'm Stephen Thompson. And I'm Linda Holmes. Today we're talking about Wonka on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining us today is NPR producer J.C. Howard. Hey there, J.C. Hello, hello. And also with us is co-host of Slate's ICYMI podcast and former PCHH producer Candace Lim. Welcome back, Candace. Hello. It's always good to have people here for any reason, but especially this reason. So Roald Dahl's 1964 children's book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, first told the story of Willy Wonka, an eccentric chocolatier who makes magical candies with the aid of the Oompa Loompas. The book was later adapted into the classic 1971 film, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which starred Gene Wilder and was again retold in Tim Burton's 2005 remake, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which starred Johnny Depp. Now, in Wonka, Timothy Chalamet takes on the role of a young Willy Wonka. He arrives in the big city with dreams of opening a chocolate shop, but his plans are complicated by a veritable Whitman's sampler (laughs) of villains. There's the wicked Mrs. Scrubbit, played by Olivia Colman, and her oafish sidekick, who trick Willy Wonka into indentured servitude at their laundromat. And there's the chocolate cartel made up of three chocolatiers who crush anyone standing in their path. Willy Wonka does have a few friends, though, in the form of a few ragtag misfits who also toil at the laundromat, including an orphaned girl named Noodle. She's played by Kayla Lane, and of course we meet an Oompa Loompa who's played by Hugh Grant. The film is in theaters now. Candace Lim, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of Wonka? Linda, the movies are back. <laughs> the movies are back. I love this movie. I think the takeaway of Wonka is that Delulu is the Salulu, mm. okay? Because this movie is about a guy who hops off a boat in somewhere that looks like Bavaria or Prague or the town where Frozen takes place. And he says, I have one coin. I cannot read. I live in a corrupt Airbnb and I'm going to beat out a cartel of chocolatiers to become the williest Wonka you've ever seen. And I think in terms of the gap between this film and the past Willy Wonka films, as an adult, I was like, some things aren't exactly connecting, but I don't think that is what the film needed to succeed because I don't think it needed to appeal to me. I think it needed to appeal to yes. kids. And yes. yeah. the kids in my showing, they were so charmed oh, sure. by Timmy. <laughs> and it kind of made me realize that you know, the three Willy Wonka films we have now are maybe not best consumed if you believe they exist in the same world as each other. I think instead, 
Willy Wonka is just being rebooted for each generation, and therefore Timothy Chalamet will be the one that kids of this generation identify as their Wonka. Sure. I'm okay with it. You know, he's whimsy enough. He's an okay singer. I wish he had a bob. That is like a genuine thing I was expecting. But here's the thing. I'm so glad, J.C. Howard, that you are here because the question I had to ask was, is Willy Wonka's success attributed to luck or skill? (laughs) Yes, a a, a very good uh, how I built this kind of callback. I think for him in this particular movie, there is definitely a lot of both, Mm -hmm. which is kind of the standard answer that's given. There's definitely a lot of luck and skill. Honestly, look, I went into this movie wanting to like it, but expecting to be disappointed. Mm. And ultimately, I agree with you, Candace. I loved it. I thought that I might have a few Mm -hmm. kind things to say, but instead, I feel like they finally did it. Movies are back. They made... (laughs) kids movie again well and better yet they made a family movie again mm-hmm. you know like i feel yes. like a lot of other attempts at prequels and remakes and sequels have been such letdowns because they forgot that the original often succeeded because it was made with kids in mind yes and they made a movie that was whimsical and funny and played by its own rules there were no dark themes in- unless uh, they were also wildly cartoonish, which I also appreciated. I, I kind of, mm-hmm. while watching it, I thought, this is a Muppet movie without any Muppets in it. Mm. Like, it's so fun. And and that's not to say that there weren't hints or callbacks to the previous movies. There were musical motifs of, like, the Oompa Loompa theme and pure imagination. But all in all, they didn't make the obvious movie. They made a new and different chapter in the Willy Wonka story. And I think it was, I think it was really great. All right. Stephen Thompson, what do you think? I feel like I came into this conversation a little bit on the fence about this film. And now you've kind of convinced me that it completely works, (laughs) which is, which is really not necessarily what I was expecting in this conversation, because I think there is a very cynical reading of this movie, which is that this movie is IP. This movie is just trying to reboot a successful franchise. I often turn up my nose at prequels. Mm. I think the point you're making that's really working on me is the idea that each generation kind of gets to enjoy its own stories and that it's not necessary to force our kind of darker, sadder Willy Wonka onto the new generation. Yes. It's like yes. there's like kind of a parenting milestone where you sit your kids down to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas <laughs> and then they're like, Dad, this is boring and churchy. But I think that's a common process. Like we want to sit our kids down and be like, look at how dark this is. And the kid just wants to watch people eat candy. And this film definitely leans hard into wanting kids to eat candy and a certain amount of magic and enchantment. Even with all that in mind, I think there are elements of this film that don't work super well for me. I think there's a lot of villain bloat, uh, (laughs) (laughs) which is probably, I'm going to say, four too many. But on balance, I think there is like a fun for the whole family quality. I think the musical numbers are pretty effective. Timothy Chalamet, not a fantastic singer, but I don't think he necessarily needs to be as long as he's bringing a certain amount of joy and gameness to this film. And we haven't really talked about the Paddington of it all. Yes. This film, if anything, exists more in the Paddington cinematic universe than in the Willy Wonka cinematic universe. And yeah. when you think about it that way, who doesn't want another Paddington movie? Yeah, I went back and forth about this partly because I think it's a pretty good movie. I think it is a great movie for kids. I can 
completely imagine this being a movie that kids watch over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Very, very easy for me to imagine. I do think it makes a little bit of a weird Willy Wonka movie for the reasons that we've already talked about, which is not just in the Gene Wilder version, which I think is the like sort of best regarded before now. I don't know. Mm -hmm. In the Gene Wilder version, which was the screenplay was written by Roald Dahl, you get a much more unsettling Willy Wonka where – uh, if you're bad, a giant will eat you. And if you're good, you can eat candy. Yeah. Like the the tale that is used yeah. on kids in that way. So it's really kind of a morality tale. With that element completely gone, it does feel like a very different movie. Because this is really just boy goes to the big city, has adventures, vanquishes his enemies with the help of his group of friends. Right? So I think in some ways, thematically... Yes. Yeah. It's hard for me to think of this as a Willy Wonka movie, but it's pretty easy for me to think of it as a lovely, like, Paddington-ish movie. I was glad that Chalamet sings like a person. He sounds like Timothy Chalamet singing. You know it's not dubbed. (laughs) What impressed me more about him is I'm so used to thinking of him with kind of Mm -hmm. an edge of brat to him, (laughs) as in, like, Lady Bird and... Even Dune, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and in this, he's so open-hearted and he's so sunny. His reactions to things are very childlike. And it's hard to pull that off, I think. It's hard to make that sound like a real person. And I think his level of commitment is high enough that he pulls it off. Yeah. I think the ingredients here are that it's 60% Timothy Chalamet. Mm-hmm. 40% supporting cast because mm. can I just say, I want to give some shout outs tonight. <laughs> First one, Natasha Rothwell. I love you. Always. <laughs> Racky Thakra from Sex Education. I was so excited. I love yes, her. Yes. And lastly, my boy, uh, Jim Carter, yep. Downton Abbey Hive, Mr. Carson. <laughs> I loved him so much. He was my Eep moment. But I will say, I just think that the supporting cast here is really what lifted Timothy to new heights. And obviously, Noodle is a really big part of that because I think Noodle is like the emotional crux of this film that really takes you from beginning to end because if she didn't nail it if they didn't nail her Mm -hmm. i would not have been as satisfied and happy yeah no i think that's right kayla lane who played noodle just brought buckets of charisma to this role Mm -hmm. the actress herself is only like 14 Mm -hmm. but there were so many moments where she had to be the adult in the scene for sure she bounced back and forth between childlike wonder and amazement and also having to see the world as oppressive. Mm-hmm. There's a couple times where she says this phrase, the greedy beat the needy yes. every time. Yes. And she yes. delivers that line like she has been beaten by the world. And then like a scene later, she is giggling like she's on a playground. And she does this transition with such ease. So I think that's exactly right. The character actors, like half the cast of Ghosts UK. Uh, oh my I, God. I, know. I kept thinking of Stephen every time one of them would come on. Like Matthew Bainton would come on. I'm like, Stephen's got to be loving like the Ghosts UK <laughs> cast here. I mean, even the villains in this film, I just complained about how there's like 47 villains in this movie. But each one of them is having more fun yeah. than the last. Yes. Let's just be grateful collectively. That Matt Lucas was free to be in this oh, movie. Yes. <laughs> yes. The thing about Matt Lucas, who I generally do not enjoy, is this to me is the exact right amount of Matt Lucas, which is like eight <laughs> funny lines. He's not in it too much. 
they needed a better bald cap budget for him. Um, (laughs) It's pretty painful. Um, I think that Matt Lucas is used correctly in this movie. I'll say it that way. (laughs) Now, can I bring up Hugh Grant? Oh, yeah. Of the things that I did not love about this movie, I personally did not need Hugh Grant as an Oompa Loompa. Here's my deal. Sure. Hugh, he does this interview and he says, I slightly hate making films, but I have lots of children and need money. And I was like, "Okay, I get it. You're taking a page from like the Rachel Zegler book of I needed a job. Mm -hmm. Even before reading that quote, I kind of felt like he was a weird damper in the film. You know, his character starts off as like an enemy to Wonka, then a co-conspirator, then a hero. And then they kind of never truly explain his motivation or the crux. And to me, it kind of felt like the producers were thinking like, Oh, my God. Hugh Grant. Huge get. Big fun cameo. Everyone will love it. But my question is, like, do you think the kids in my theater knew who Hugh Grant was or cared who Hugh Grant was? Right. That leads me to my very possibly controversial but maybe interesting idea, which is that I actually wish they had cast Matt Lucas as Mm. the Oompa Loompa. Mainly because I want to just leave him under a container. Right. That's where I'm at. I mean, I do think Hugh Grant is there as much as a callback to Paddington 2. Sure. Sure. As it is a, a callback to, you know, people who liked Hugh Grant in the 90s. Yeah, I, I agree with you, though, Candace. Mm-hmm. There's a way that Hugh Grant does certain kind of line readings that I always find funny and that I will always sort of chuckle at because there's a kind of disdainful way that he can do mm-hmm. a certain kind of person. But mm-hmm. to me, it felt a little like it was distracting from the story they were really telling, which is about Willy Wonka and his friends. I do want to ask you guys, since it is a musical, what did you think of the songs? I think that it was it was a proper musical. Right. And I thought the music was great. As you said, Linda, I think kids will watch this over and over and over until their parents know all the words to the songs. <laughs> and I think that it deserves it. I think the music was all really catchy. The numbers were not too long or drawn out. The Oompa Loompa song, we're talking about the Hugh Grant of it all. Um, The Oompa Loompa song could have overstayed its welcome, and it did not, I don't think. That villain song, Sweet Tooth, was amazing. Have you got a sweet tooth? I do. A hunger that you have to feed? Have you got a sweet tooth? I do. Well, we've got everything you need. It was so catchy. One of the characters... I noticed was even humming it. (laughs) So there was a lot of really good original music in this movie overall. Yeah. I mean, look, I was tapping my Birkenstock. I was a happy (laughs) clam. All three of the films are technically musicals. It's just that they kind of weigh heavier on Mm -hmm. some roles than others. And, you know, for me, the biggest question walking into this film was how are they going to do pure imagination? Mm -hmm. Because that is my favorite sample in music history. I loved when Kathleen did a cover of it for Fire Island. Mm -hmm. That is a song where, like, you go one half step up and it's whimsy, one half step down, it's creepy and I like that and so I was very worried about our boy Timmy (laughs) Tim singing this but they did it because they deployed it at this moment that was like this extremely emotional climax for our girl Noodle Mm. and guess what guys I cried I bawled I said here we go mama come with me and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. I was tapping my feet too, Candace. I also mm-hmm. really liked the Scrub Scrub song yes. when they were in the laundry. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really yeah. catchy. Like, I can't tell you honestly that I could sing the songs today, mm-hmm. but I definitely, like, at the time, 
was enjoying them yeah. more than I have enjoyed the music in many other musicals yeah. that I've yeah. seen in the last few years, I'll say. Yeah, yeah I, here's where I want to give a shout out to Neil Hannon, who wrote a lot of these songs. He used to put out records under the name The Divine Comedy. His songwriting is very, is kind of biting and very erudite. There's just like a very kind of literary quality to his songwriting. He was putting out records in like the 90s and aughts, and then I'd completely forgotten about him. Hmm. And when I saw songs by Neil Hannon, I was like, like, what a good idea for that guy's skills to translate into movie musical songwriting, which is a very distinct kind of songwriting that is not that far removed from what he was doing in this kind of cult project that I had completely forgotten. So I love that decision to bring him in to write these songs. And I do think these songs work very well. Like Linda, I'm not necessarily humming them today, hmm. but it doesn't mean I won't be humming them tomorrow. Sure. as this right. movie potentially kind of seeps into yes. the streaming ecosystem yeah. and people revisit it again and again. Right. And I, th I thought about like, am I going to go and seek out this album? Probably. Yeah. 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 I do think they work pretty well. And that's sort of how I came out of this movie is like, I don't think it's like the best movie I've ever seen. I'm not sure I'm quite as high on it as JC and Candace, which may be generational as much as anything. But I think it works pretty well. And I was happy to see Chalamet playing a kind of a simple, open-hearted person mm -hmm. is stretching for him a little bit compared to some of the other stuff that he's done. So I was happy for him. I was happy to see him stretch out a little bit. Yeah. Well, and if you're looking for a darker reading of this story, just think of Willy Wonka as a drug dealer. <laughs> oh, up against a cartel yeah. uh -huh. uh, who control the chocolate distribution. They are aided by crooked cops. Yeah, this is really a Breaking Bad prequel, if anything. <laughs> there you go. All right, well, we want to know what you think about Wonka. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what's making us happy this week? Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Directed by Prentice Penny, executive producer of Insecure, Black Twitter, A People's History, tells the story of how black voices found a new home online and blossomed into a force for change while laying down some hilarious tweets along the way. From the memes to the movements, see how this powerful community shapes culture, society, and politics. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor Proven Winners Color Choice Shrubs, which believes plants and gardening are for everyone. With over 25 years of developing, trialing, and testing some of the most recognized flowering shrubs and evergreens on the market, Proven Winners Color Choice makes it easy to transform dull landscapes into colorful, vital spaces for work and play. Available in the distinctive white containers at garden centers nationwide. Or learn more at provenwinnerscolorchoice.com slash NPR. 
It's a high-stakes election year, so it's not enough to just follow along. You need to understand what's happening so you are fully informed come November. Every weekday on the NPR Politics Podcast, our political reporters break down important stories and backstories from the campaign trail so you understand why it matters to you. Listen to the NPR Politics Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What's making us happy this week? J.C. Howard, what is making you happy this week? This is actually the fruition of a happy that I brought earlier this year. The thing that's making me happy this week is that Doctor Who is back and it's on Disney+. Plus. The 60th anniversary of the series was just in November and three special episodes were released. Mm-hmm. These specials were great. No spoilers, of course. But they starred <sighs> Catherine Tate and David Tennant, fan favorites from more than a decade ago. Um, they sort of reprised their roles as Donna Noble and the Doctor, respectively. The specials also featured Neil Patrick Harris and Shudi Gatwa, who is widely known as Eric from Sex Education. And the returning showrunner, Russell T. Davis, is bringing a lot of fresh ideas to kind of establish a new era of the franchise. And it makes me very excited for the Christmas special that's coming in just a few days um, and the new season that's coming up next year. So some of the older episodes are on Max if you'd like to go back and, and relive those days. But the specials and new episodes of Doctor Who are what's making me happy this week. They are and will be on Disney+. Plus. All right. Thank you very much, J.C. Howard. Candace Lim, what is making you happy this week? What's making me happy is a YouTube channel called Beetle the Bard Core. And it's basically someone who takes club bangers to the Renaissance Fair and <laughs> yes. makes medieval covers of popular songs. <laughs> so the video I am bringing to you today, guys, is the Bard Core cover of Usher's tavern filler hit song, Yeah. I see that being sampled and regurgitated back. (laughs) This was brought to me by my dear friend Devin, who sent me this video when I was in like a slump. I really needed a boost of energy and it really electrocuted me like I was Frankenstein's monster. (laughs) And I think the best part of this video is the comments. I'll read some of them to you now. When a maiden offers to show her ankles, when Sir Usher drops the beat, even the dragon in the cave starts dancing. I love this. They also have a one-hour bardcore cover of Eminem songs. They've done WAP. They've done Hozier. Like, this will always make me happy. It's Beetle the Bardcore YouTube channel, specifically their cover of Yeah by Usher. This is amazing. I appreciate this so much, Candice Lim, and I enjoyed hearing that clip very, very much. You're welcome. (laughs) Stephen Thompson, what is making you happy this week? Well, what is making me happy is also musical in nature. It is time once again for NPR Music's roundup of the best albums and the best songs of 2023. And as I wrote about the albums package for the NPR Music newsletter over the past weekend, and I was writing about the fact that one of the big stories of 2023 in music is how old so much of the music was. Mm -hmm. You had covered 
covers of old songs, big hit albums from 2022 that leaked into 2023. And so, you know, these songs by SZA and Taylor Swift that were old and became hits. Yeah. Even Brenda Lee, you know, rocking around the Christmas tree hitting number one. Yeah. That song's from 1958. And I, I found myself kind of looking at the year in music and saying, where's all the music from 2023? Well, the answer is in these roundups of the best songs and the best albums of 2023, which you can find at NPR Music. And I really, really encourage you to kind of go through these playlists and just sample them. You'll find songs in hip hop and R&B and pop and jazz and whatever 100 Gex <laughs> is. Um, there's, there's so many different sounds all swirled together. It is one of the truest multi-genre best of lists you will find in any medium. Mm-hmm. And you're just guaranteed to find a discovery. So go to nprmusic.org and just swim around in these recommendations. It was not necessarily a big year for musical juggernauts, you know, big albums everyone could agree on, but there's tons and tons of great music and I encourage everyone to dig in. All right. Thank you very much, Stephen Thompson. Uh, Instead of sharing what is making me happy this week, I wanted to take a minute to talk about the actor Andre Brower, who died on Monday after a brief illness. He was 61, which is much too young. He was part of three kind of major TV shows that uh, in part revolved around him. The first was Homicide, Life on the Street where he played Frank Pembleton, a detective. Uh, The second was Men of a Certain Age, where Homicide was very much one of the kind of early prestige TV, before prestige TV was really a cable thing. It was on uh, broadcast. And that was kind of a hard-hitting drama. Men of a Certain Age then was kind of a comedy drama. And then he came to Brooklyn Nine-Nine and played... Captain Ray Holt. And that, of course, is very, very silly comedy. And the range in those roles is just amazing to me. And once they got him on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I I have a little clip that I want to play because I had so many choices uh, in picking a clip, but this is the one I chose. Uh, Everybody in the squad room at the Brooklyn Nine-Nine cop shop is standing around talking about why the very straight-laced Amy Santiago is a minute late, and they are all speculating about what possibly could have happened and making bets about why Amy is late. And Captain Holt says that he thinks that she had a problem at the bank. There she is, Amy. Where have you been? We've been worried sick. Do you care to explain yourself? I'm just 70 seconds late. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Santiago, you will tell us, and you will tell us now. There was a problem at the bank. Hot damn! It's the way he is such a kind of a a deadpan character, and then they give him that big hot damn at the end. (laughs) And um, I don't know. Steven, you're a Brooklyn Nine-Nine guy. Back me up here, right? Genius. Absolute genius. And it I've often found myself kind of sticking up for people on comedy shows whose role is to kind of play the straight man while chaos swirls around them. He, he's the by-the-book cop. In, in, in so many ways on paper, this character is a cliche, right? Paragraph three, line six says this, you will wear a tie. Right. How he managed to make with the help of this cast, with the help of these writers and showrunners, he took that character and made him 
not only, in my opinion, the funniest character on this show, but one of the funniest characters on television. And there are just random line readings that will pop into my head and make me yeah. guffaw. And we're just talking about TV here. We're not even talking about his work in film, the work that he did on Glory, the work that he did. I most recently saw him in She mm-hmm. Said. His depiction of an editor is just one of the best depictions of an editor I have ever seen in the movies. Yeah. That's not even a heralded performance. Like, that wasn't a big award-winning performance. He right. made everything he touched better. And if it was dramatic, he made it more serious and compelling. If it was comedic, he made it warmer and funnier. This one just gutted me. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously my heart goes out to to friends and family and to the many, many, many people who worked with him. I've never heard an unkind word about him. He will be missed tremendously, both in drama and in comedy and as a person. And uh, this was a really, really painful one. But I did want to make sure that we took a moment and, and spoke a bit about his excellent work. And that brings us to the end of our show. Candace Lim, J.C. Howard, Stephen Thompson, thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fathima and Ramel Wood and edited by Mike Katzoff. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor KeyBank. At KeyBank, they believe in delivering for their clients. Whatever the economic turn, KeyBank is primed to collaborate and help create solutions tailored to your ideas and your vision. With nearly 200 years of banking experience, they know a lot about being a trusted advisor. And whether you're managing growth, seeking solutions, or improving your bottom line, KeyBank is ready to be yours. KeyBank opens doors. Learn more at key.com advisor. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections.